connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. This morning with the Lucado podcast, and I welcome my guest today, Christy Thomasy. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Becca. Um, Lucado is always about healing, and uh, Christy and I met in a very healing environment because we met at Camp Bluebird. And Christy is an oncology nurse who is also the uh, the director of Camp Bluebird. So right. welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So camp is kind of a special place for healing because uh, I started going to camp like in 1990. When did you start? In 2007. So I went as a patient and you... I came as a nurse. As a nurse and the executive director. Well, I started as the nurse. Oh, you were the camp nurse. I started as the camp nurse. How did you get hooked into directing that rodeo? That zoological experiment. <laughs> it, it was one of those things that um, they were like, you really love camp, and nobody else is going to do it if if you don't. <laughs> and so well, it was that that I became camp. I became the director. So. A little nudge, a little twisting I, of the arm. It was, it's going to go away if you don't keep doing it. And I'm That's like, so cool. okay, well. Yeah. And it's such a special experience um, for both the cancer survivor, all of my volunteers and staff, and myself, it, it just it amazes me um, how we can touch other people's lives. It's almost like a laboratory experiment. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. I never thought of it that way, but now that I'm talking to you, because yeah. not everybody gets the whole experience and can speak from the whole experience. So, And when I say a laboratory experiment, because we bring together medical professionals, right? volunteers who have been touched by cancer in some way, right? or cancer survivors themselves. Exactly. Uh, and some you can't of my tell volunteers, one from the other. That's exactly right. Some of my volunteers and staff are, um, are cancer survivors themselves that have come to camp and then have wanted to give back. And so they end up becoming, you know, crossing over to the staff part of it. But no matter what, everybody gets something out of it. It's a very organic experience. Um, we allow things to just happen. Um, we make the envir- We bring in a safe environment for them to be able to talk about their cancer, um, to talk to another person about their cancer that's had it, That's that's been in that chair where the doctor has given them a diagnosis of cancer and you know, dealing with that situation. Um, even though I'm an oncology nurse, I've never had cancer. I've had family members that have, um, and, and gone through treatment. Some have done well, you know, I did lose an uncle to cancer as well. So it's, it's close to my heart also. Um, and some of these people who come to camp have never talked to anybody, never talked to another cancer survivor exactly. about what they're, what they've gone through. And they have, you know, some have wonderful supportive families, but have not 
been that one that was diagnosed. Exactly. So, you know, I think no one is camp is perceived as one way or the other. Correct. Because I don't think anybody looks at you as the nurse who injects me with all this stuff that makes me feel so bad. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> you know, and, uh, when we have the dance or we have parties and do these wild and crazy and outlandish things. Yes. And we dress in costume or whatever the case may be. It's like, you see that person over there? That's a nurse. That's Are right. Are you sure you want her to be your nurse? Well, it, it makes me giggle because I've had, I've met people as a camper and then they end up in my chemo chair or in the hospital in exactly. my in a patient room and then it's like oh wait they have seen me in costume with you know wild hats and and that kind of thing and it's like now I have to be serious <laughs> and talk to them about chemotherapy or um, death and dying or you know where we go from here with whatever their prognosis is um, but you know, one of the things that camp does is it makes them remember that they need to have fun. It's uh, sort of that equalized. life is short. It gives everybody equal footing. Yes. Uh, one of the contributions I've been able to make to camp was to bring in healing. Yes. And healership. Right. Because right after my diagnosis, I started learning about healing. So we bring in, initially, it was only people who did Reiki. Yes. And then other modalities of healing. And so when a healer comes and you get on the table of the healer, they don't know who's a nurse. Who's That's right. With pastoral care. That's right. And who is. So it's just about healing whoever comes with whatever they may need at the time. That's right. I mean, we've had one of the nuns that works at the hospital come as as a volunteer, as a staff member, and as a camper, and she is a healer. So exactly. we've been able to use her in all of her modalities. So in, the, in today's world of where do you put medicine and healing, camp has been a place where they merge together and can uh, grow together. Exactly. And be seen working together. That's it's right. not choose the healing or the doctor. Right, exactly. Some of the doctors have come to camp. Absolutely. Some of the We've doctors had... have received work in and away from camp. So it's kind of exciting. Well, and we've had some of the physicians that have, have come to camp as speakers also have had um, a history of cancer. So that brings in, you know, the physician, now the patient, and that brings in a totally different um, scope. Uh, right, you know, it's a different and in perspective, perspective. Because, you know, I have the privilege of having survived cancer. That's exactly right. So people look at me and they say, you used to be bald? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but if you don't do anything, it comes back. If you live, it comes back. You know, yes. like, you don't have to worry about that. And, and so I have a depth of rapport mm -hmm. instantly, whereas a nurse... Yes. Or a social worker or someone in pastoral care has to develop a relationship. That's right. So there's, and we work together, so there's a, a, a greater depth, I think, um, of just service. Because mm -hmm. one of the biggest staff members at camp is a nurse who's worked in the kitchen most of the time. 
That's right. Now, what is the head oncology nurse doing chopping onions? And Well, you know, because... She doesn't want to be seen as a nurse at camp. Because she is a nurse. Yeah. But she can also be seen in another light. That's exactly right. And one of one of our other volunteers who is also a cancer survivor, also a nurse, does not work as a nurse at camp. She runs our camp store, and that's her favorite thing to do. She doesn't want to do anything else. And we, we have to respect the, um, the confidentiality, and we can't name names of people Absolutely. Who, who come with us because everybody is a story and everybody has something to share, mm-hmm. but they are, and only them can decide who and where and when and how their story is. That's put exactly out there. But right. it's really quite a wonderful experience. So and, and it brings families together. You know, there's so many stories of camp that the survivor, the, the cancer survivor comes to camp. Nobody wanted him to come because it was going to be a doom and gloom and everybody's sick and woe is me kind of situation. And then they come back feeling this gratefulness and this lust for life and wanting to, you know, get up and go in the morning and this, um, and very energetic. And I've hear stories of that time and time again, where then the family wants to come and volunteer because they see the change that it's made in that, in that survivor. Before you came on board, I had a really good friend who was a social worker mm-hmm. and her husband had cancer as a result of agent orange Mm-hmm. And uh, he he came to camp, and, and she was sort of like, well, I wonder what this is going to be like for him. And you tend to want to uh, baby or cater to or right. be real protective of oh, absolutely. the person with the diagnosis. Absolutely. And this is not exactly that kind of experience. So when he had completed camp and I saw her again, she said, you know, if he only had a few days left, I would want him to spend some of them at camp. Absolutely. And that's that's how much it gave to him unbeknownst to her. Right, right. So we've had years of trusting this kind of like wellness program. Yes. That has uh, medical support. We do have a camp nurse. Yes. We can take care of medical emergencies. Yes. You know, we can bring you somewhere fast, fast. And, <laughs> if we uh, need to, yes. <laughs> if necessary. But as a nurse, in, I don't know when you became a nurse, but as a nurse who took on the directorship of camp, mm-hmm. because nobody else would do it and then it wasn't going to continue, <laughs> which is how we get... <clears throat> suckered into things that seem to work out at least for a while it it definitely has it's been such a blessing to me so and your exposure to this kind of wellness program right how how has that changed your view of healing you went into nursing there was something about nursing that you felt was healing tell me about that for you if you can um I think I've always known that I wanted to go into the medical field Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that looked like as a kid, but I can remember helping um, a friend of mine's son who didn't want to take his medicine. And mm-hmm. did I did you and, stand on your head. I want to know how you did that. I, I don't remember what I did, okay. but he was absolutely th- 
throwing a fit, crying, and he felt bad. And it was like, look, if you don't take it, you're not going to feel better. I don't know what it was, but my dad looked at me and he says, you have a knack for this. You need to keep doing it. You need to look into that. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do was help people. Do you um, know how medically. old you were? 14, okay. 13, 14, Teen, something like teen, that. Okay. Yeah, teenager. Um, but was always interested in surgeries, always interested in medicine. Um, now it's not just about medicine. It's about healing them spiritually, healing them mentally. Um, and that's what part of what I get to do at camp. Um, at first, when I started nursing, it was healing their physical body. And now it's transformed into being able to heal them in other ways well when you became a nurse and you have the 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 I I don't know if this is true for you but for a lot of women you have Florence Nightingale as part of your you absolutely you want to be like that and and you're trained and you can only do what you're allowed to do that your training has allowed you camp wasn't available then that's right so you took everything that was healing in your heart and had to put it in your service as a nurse. Absolutely. But that whole vision has expanded. Yes. Because you're still serving as a nurse. Still serving as a nurse, yes. But instead of only in what is totally medical, you also get to see their personalities right. and their lives. That's right. And and you, you get to see their spirits and how they worship or don't worship. or Right. Or you see the presence of God within them, whether it's how you view that in your daily life or not. So you had an opportunity, an experiential opportunity. So how did that change you in terms of expanding from only medical to more than medical? And how would you change the medical profession if you could change some rules about medical training? Because like medically, we're not trained to accept death and dying. And right. medically, you're not trained. We don't do house calls. So you don't know the other part of the people you got to meet at camp. That's right. Because you, they you took don't you, always see the whole thing. Right. You they don't took always you see. out of just giving and administering chemo mm-hmm. or medicine as you did when you were 15. And that's a viable and helpful thing. Right. But now that you have a bigger picture. Okay, so... I I think with what I do and what I bring to the table for my patients um, is, and and this is both at camp, you know, in the hospital, no matter matter where I'm at, um, you know, I want to bring them to a healthier place, not just physically, but, you know, being an oncology nurse, you have to help them through more than one situation. A lot of times it's getting family straight. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that, that the medical side de- misses out on is, is the emotional side that it, it affects at home. Um, and I think we, as, as a medical community, I think we're missing that. In my experience, mm-hmm. I, as a, as a volunteer, not just at camp, but as a volunteer in general, social workers used to be employed, and social workers used to cover that piece. Right, they, and we don't 
They understood the family dynamics and what community resources could help them. And we don't have social workers that go to camp anymore. And doctors don't have social work. Oncologists don't have them in their offices. That's exactly right. So there's a whole piece that That used to be provided through the medical profession, through social work, that is gone. That's right. So there's... And and the other thing is... is, um, is the the other side of healing, not just the physical um, and the medicinal side, but it's also with nutrition and Reiki healing and all of those modalities. The medical profession doesn't always look um, look to that as as helpful, right? Um, as like music therapy and things like that. But now. Joint Commission, who kind of tells us what we can and can't do in hospital settings and and, um, office settings, um, is now mandating that we have to allow those things into the hospitals for pain management. Um, And we don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I would hope that it would look like having, you know, music therapists come in and, and play for these people to help calm them to help soothe their pain um have a reiki healer have a massage therapist come and see if they can't help manage that pain without pharmaceuticals right you know, non, non-pharmacological treatments so when um you said nutrition mm-hmm. well we have a nutritionist that provides and does lunches for us but she's not necessarily providing any of that for medicinal purposes. No, because they like to eat at camp. No, but what I'm saying <laughs> is what I'm saying is there are nutritionists who provide the daily meals, but when we have things like fried fish and crawfish etouffee, right. and you know, we're not That's looking right. at we do and are able to address special needs if they have allergies. Absolutely. But but that's something that we could work on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. without a mandate from anyone else at least someone could give a presentation there was a guy from here and he moved but his name was bill sadlow okay and there's a thing called macrobiotics absolutely and bishop ott who had cancer he Mm -hmm. was the bishop in baton rouge you know he used macrobiotics and prolonged his life and the quality of his life by choosing to view food as medicine. medicine. And so that's something we could at least educate. Oh, absolutely. You know, We could bring in a speaker about that. We have in the past um, had an, a dietitian that came out, um, and we did the whole you know healthy eating kind of thing. Um, I don't think the campers were real happy about the, the portion sizes. They loved the meals, but they wanted – because – you know, everything in excess is Cajun culture, you know? Um, so changing that is kind of a one person at a time, you know, but giving them the information is absolutely, um, and I think it's easy, important at this point in our conversation. Think about this with me. Mm -hmm. It's easier to get somebody to take their medicine than it is to get them to eat healthy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Oh, absolutely. Whoa. I mean, can't we have cheesecake for, for <laughs> breakfast? Why not? I get in trouble for saying stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Can't we have dessert first? It's amazing Life is where short. we have blocks to, 
to our own health, but yeah, that's a, yes. But I I do know that the, the, um, nutrition I've had, um, several patients that went on macrobiotic and different types of, of, um, nutrition that helped them prolong their life. Um, even, you know, vitamin therapy and supplements all help, um, help rejuvenate the body quicker after chemotherapy and things like that. Um, because my oncologist had a nutritionist in his office for mm-hmm. a while, and I saw her for some yes. time, and it was very beneficial to me. Oh, I don't absolutely! Think that she still exists in his office. So a lot of these things were covered, are available, right? Are no longer. Well, I I know we had one um, at the office that I worked at. We had a nutritionist, a dietitian, um, and she was wonderful. And she, I think, um, I don't know if she works at. Miles Perrette or volunteers at Miles Perrette, but she is still available. Um, Do y'all have a social worker at your office? No. You see? I mean, and no. discharge planning is important, and, and oftentimes that's a... Right, because it, it, you know, <clears throat> it's it, it helps us out, because as a nurse, I'm not trained to, to do those things. I don't know how to go about looking those into things like that. Those resources are not part I, of, and accessing them is, yeah. Right, I, I don't know even where to look for that. Um, but I do know with the social workers that I have worked with in the past, right away, they knew exactly how to find this, how to help right, that person. Right. That's kind of exciting to think we're seeing it change. Yes. And, and then as we understand what the needs have been, maybe we could help some of that change be more effective. Right. So let's go back to, uh, Doctors are not trained in this. Medical is not trained in this. Medical is also not trained in the process of death and dying. So as Correct. someone who deals with that, on oncology is kind of like closer to death and dying than most other fields. But how do we help train medical staff and people we know to understand that death and dying is natural? And that I didn't die of cancer yet, but I'm going to die of something. Absolutely. So Everybody's going to die. The fact I th- that I didn't die of cancer is not a big deal. We're going to die. Right. I, I think the, Can um, you address that if you could? Yeah. I, I think the um, – I, I forget who sings it, but the song is um, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Hello. Well, and it, it's taboo to talk about that. But everybody is going to die. Nobody has found the fountain of youth yet. Um Keeping yourself healthy by diet and exercise may extend your life, but eventually everyone will pass away, and um, people still don't like to talk about that. You know, it's what are the two things that are certain in life? Death and taxes, you know? Um, But the medical community, they don't want – they feel it as – a lot of the professionals that I've dealt with feel a, see it as um, a failure that somebody right. passed away. Well, it's not a failure because in my line of work, they're healed. They're gone on to a much better place. And um, so when you say they're healed, you're saying that death is the ultimate healing? I think it is. Okay. I believe that too, but I've never really heard anybody else say that. <laughs> I, I think it is. I, I had a patient um, probably a year or two ago, and they were praying for her to be healed. They were praying for her to be healed. 
And she was. She just wasn't healed on earth. She was healed by going by on. going going on. Um, when she died, she went to be, you know, a, a better place and and healed. And and I don't know how. And her family was very upset that she died because they kept praying for her to not die, um, to be healed. And so it's in that that they feel like they have, and they, and you do, you do have a loss. You lose that person, but them being here, they, their physical body could no longer maintain. Exactly. Um, so that brings me to say that there's a difference between healing and curing. Correct. Like you can die healed, but never get a cure from whatever it is. That's exactly your, right. Your it's, ailment, it's, your malady, it's where you your take it. That's yeah. exactly right. It's where you take it from. It's where um, how you deal with it, and that's that's one of the things that um, I love about what I do is, as a nurse, I can prepare them for, you know, the, their end of life. Um, it helps. Um, heal those relationships that they may have been struggling with. Exactly. Um, well, you know my son. Yes. Well, we were invited to do this thing once called StoryCorps. Uh-huh. And I asked him to interview me. Just by the nature of me asking him to interview me, I'm a courageous woman. Absolutely. <laughs> and and StoryCorps was uh, sent to different places all over the country where one generation – would express to the other generations questions they may have wanted to know about them. Okay. And they have this somewhere at the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. So it's very much like what you and I are doing here. It's just a conversation, and there was a I- technician there. Mm-hmm. So we give each other left-handed compliments sometimes because that's as good as we can be sometimes, you know, in families. Oh, and absolutely. So he goes, you know, Mom, you're not exactly the greatest housekeeper in the world. Or something like that. <laughs> but he says, but when someone is dying, you know what to do or what to say or you can be there. Absolutely. And so at that moment, the technician, who's supposed to be invisible, uh, says, can I ask a question? Well, well absolutely. Yeah, you know, you already did. So because if you're a healer, why did the people die? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, and and then I had to explain this to him as best I could that. Right. Jesus died, and Buddha died, and Muhammad died, and Gandhi died. Gandhi died, and you know everybody's going to die, and we're going to die. The Dalai die. Lama has passed away. Yeah, but you know, if a session or being with someone can help you be okay with that, then you can make better decisions to help prepare for your own end of life. Not that I tell you what to do, right? But. I'm okay. I right. know I almost died a few times, and I know I'm going to die. Right. So it doesn't make me nervous or scared that you're going to die. Right. So we had something early on called comfort care, which was the precursor in, to to hospice as we know it, and now we have hospice. But because we have that doesn't mean that the medical people access it. How can we do or what can we do to help train medical staff? Do you have any thoughts on that? They can't see your eyes. Well, I'm thinking. For an I'm answer. thinking. You know, it, it's it's education. It's educating them. Um, I know um, Our Lady of Lords and I know Lafayette General have 
uh, palliative medicine teams right. um, where they go in and, but it still has to be approved by the physician. So exactly. the physician has to pull them in right. um, to be able to help that family. As nurses, we can a lot of times request it from the physician. Hey, by the way, this is what's going on with this this patient. We need to tie in to this. Is that okay? Um, and some are more willing than others. Um, some of them don't want to go there. But I think it's educating the physicians um, that it it's okay that they're they're going to die. I've had patients that were telling the doctor, it's okay if I die. And the, the doctor doing, no, it's not. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, it is. He's more prepared than you are, you know, so we need to all get on the same page. Um, but, but it's through education and some of them still don't get it. Right. Um, even though they've been physicians for years. Oh, exactly. Um, I, I had, um, a friend of mine who, uh, her, um, her parents' primary physician didn't want to say that that her her mom and dad were going to be terminal within six months. Right. And within probably eight months, both of her parents had passed away, and she was not able to get the help from hospice like I would have liked her to have. So I was kind of that bridge helping her, visiting with her dad after her mother passed away and, you know... Um, giving them the support that I wish they would have had, you know, from true hospice. Um, Yeah. At the end of this month, I've uh, invited a speaker to come to talk about helping to normalize the conversation about death and dying. mm -hmm. When When a person goes to study medicine, they bring what they understood spiritually at that time. That's exactly right. But then after you're working with death and dying a while, you know, there's then you can get this on the job training. But could we not offer some education in med school and nursing school? I, I, and I, I had this conversation with a um, physician that I did a class with, and he did it on um, medicinal foods. Right. Things that you can add to your diet that would help certain um situations and certain diagnoses and he said when he was in medical school they got um a couple of hours so like a half a day of um nutrition and that was it um and so they probably got maybe the same amount on death and dying because the hippocratic oath is we will do no harm and a lot of physicians take that to heart that you know, doing no harm is not, you know, not letting them die. We can't let them die. We have to have everyone live. But sometimes it's better to allow that person, you know, a, a peaceful death. Is, the reality is they're going to die regardless of the efforts of the physician. That's exactly right. And we've had patients that were in the hospital that no matter what we did, they still died. And the the other reality of that is sometimes what they see as honoring the Hippocratic Oath Mm -hmm. actually does them more harm than good. Oh, I agree. Because when you're already weakened and chemo is so powerful, it doesn't help you for sure. So it's bizarre. It's it's, a... 
it's it's like a mindset thing we're we're looking at. Oh, absolutely. And some physicians totally get it. You know, they right. they know they have those conversations with the patient, whether the patient's ready or not. Right. Um, and are willing to try different treatment modalities um, and more um, Chinese medicine and Western type medicine yeah, than we I, use here. I remember um, the physician at at the hospital where I was volunteering. This there was a, a young woman who was going to have surgery, mm-hmm. and I brought her a wig because she was going to have surgery. I believe maybe to put a metaport, and uh, I brought her my wig. She could use my wig. Well, she died on the operating table, right? And and she wasn't supposed to. And, her illness wasn't that advanced, but it just did. And I can remember what a um, a beautiful approach the oncologist had. You know, and, and I was present, and I heard him tell the family that no one had failed, that she did as much as she could, and that whatever went wrong went wrong, and it wasn't there wasn't a, a there was no one to blame. Right. You know that. But that death was just part of what what came. Right, absolutely. And, and then, and he gave them as much comfort as he could, and and never spoke of failure on on anybody's side. Right, exactly. Okay, even though she had died on the operating table, which is kind of not not the norm. Not the norm. Yeah. And then he did that, and not knowing me or where I came from, except I'm a volunteer. He he just took me aside and he said, "Are you okay?" Right. And, and I said, "Yes," because I knew inside of me we're all going to die. So I wasn't okay because of what I had been taught. I was just okay because I was just okay with death and dying. Another reason because I had faced it myself. That's right. So how can we help people be okay with that? That's kind of a mindset thing, and I think that's what we're saying. But sometimes, absolutely, it. it is. Yeah. Some people get it, not, and not just you know, medical professionals, some patients get it, you know, um, some are ready to die. Some are not. And And it's, it's a hard conversation no matter who you're talking to. Um, one of the things that, um, some of the palliative medicine teams hand out is called the five wishes. And it's something that you, um, it's your wishes, what you want, when the end comes and who do you want to be planning that out? Um, I've given it to both my parents. My mother has filled it out. My dad's like, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So that, you know, and, and we've talked about it and you know, they still doesn't want to talk about it. He still doesn't want to talk about it, which is fine, you know? um, But at the same time, his mother, after my grandfather died, she went and, prepaid and prearranged her entire service, funeral service, everything. And people were like, oh, my gosh, that's so morbid. It's like, no, it's not, because she knew exactly what she wanted, and she didn't want her family, once she was gone, to be in distress trying to figure out what she wanted. Exactly. And, I mean, it was planned out to what she was going to wear. I think she might have written her obit, Um who was going to be her pallbearers? Who was going to sing? I mean, it was absolutely everything. Um, and so when she passed away at 86 years old, what a wonderful age, um, all my aunt had to do was 
bring the paperwork to the funeral home. And the funeral home was like, and you need to bring me this and this and this, because this is what she wanted. Like she had already told them. It was implemented. It was totally implemented. Um, But then I've also seen the other side of it where the person passes away and nobody knows where anything is. And then it gives them more stress, not just the fact that they've lost that person, but that they now have to figure out what to because you know, it's decisions, how to plan. That's exactly at right. At that point, are based on emotion. Absolutely, and emotional decisions are usually off the mark or off the charts. Absolutely, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, I have invited someone to give a presentation about this normalizing conversation, and right. one of the things she requested that I get to give out as a handout is the five wishes. Oh yeah, there. I mean, it's 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 amazing, and um, I was blessed to be able to help a friend of mine last year um, do the same thing. Right. Um, and it it was you know some of the questions that as you read through, and it it makes you kind of giggle because it's so uh, it's a little bit odd. One of the questions was, um, you know do you want to be bathed? Do you want to be kept clean? Do you, you know, which is basic human rights. Um, but then one of them in that same section was, would you like to be massaged with oil and hot stones? And he and I started giggling because it's like, absolutely. I want that now. Like who's going to come give me a massage and use hot stones on me now, you know, but it was, it, it it goes into much detail exactly. as to w- what you want. Um, it's not just, do you want to be left on life support? Do you want to have a feeding tube placed? Yeah. Um, and all of those things. So um, it, I made it easier for him to be able to make those decisions. Well, the woman giving this con- this discussion, this presentation, mm-hmm. her name is Paloma Landry. And no, she's not another one of my children. <laughs> Because I was married but to But she's Lane. probably related. But maybe. I don't really know. But, like, so she she was, she was recommended that, you know, we have uh, dinner about death and dying. And just invite your family to do this. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it doesn't mean it works either. But it's a way. Well, and, and that's just it, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of humorous. And then she goes through how right. maybe we could really do this. It's kind of like a family gathering right and we're going to talk about death and dying Ooh, and yeah right yeah and i think the other thing is is you know with education if you give you know all medical professionals both nurses social workers physicians um nurse practitioners they all need continuing education hours to renew their license every year that would be one way is if you gave it CEUs to for that continuing yeah. education hours on this subject, but you still have to get them to come. Oh, exactly. And who wants to, you know, and, and, but they think you, of it as depressing. If it would be a requirement in med school that they dealt with this for themselves, right. then at least they would have a personal experience. Oh, right. And they could let someone else um, deal with. Like, That's right. That's I took, right. I took a course on death and dying at the university. Right. Right now. It's a you stand in line to take this course Absolutely. on death and dying. Absolutely. And so it was really helpful because after having the experience of having cancer a couple of times, 
It gave me something real to bring to the discussion and an experience of this is not the process of dying is natural. Yes. It has nothing to do with medicine or religion. That's right. Because because it, medicine is not going to make us live forever. So it's it's one place where medicine is not the most important thing. That's right. Care is and comfort. And and religion is so specific that I'm going to tell you how to die as a Jewish person. I'm going to help you die as a Catholic. Right. I'm going to help you die as a Native American. All of the specificities about right. God and religion and right. our own perceptions are not the same. Right. So we have to make that be something about source that is general. And when you put those parameters on teaching anything, how do you teach death and dying in med school when it's not about medicine and it's not about the religions that they come from? Right. And I mean, I think you have to, in that instance, not necessarily have someone um, from each religion because that would be way too time consuming, but it's beyond every religion. When you're, when you're in that situation, you ask the patient, you ask the family, what do we need to help? How do we need to help you? How do... Right, but the thing is, at the time that they're losing a family member, they don't know what they need. No. So the education part has, has to, to come be before. general. It has to be general. And how do you teach doctors reality? How do you teach them the reality that death is not failure? Right. It's it's a it's a, a bigger thing than that. But it it is and it's a sociology class is what it is. So we should have a sociology professor teach it every medical school. The course I took could really help them. Oh, I I agree. I agree. But now I, we're not into like I don't curriculum that, planning at the That's med right. School, I don't but, know that that's one of the classes that they have to take. I know as a nurse we had to take psychology and that was a portion of what we took, but it was not a complete class. It wasn't the whole, you know, death and dying. um, It's still taught here at the university. Right. Absolutely. So I don't know if we can affect any change, but at least we can see there is a need and talk about it. That's exactly right. So without putting you on the spot. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) How, how have your gifts entered your life that you didn't even know you had early on? And I only know that because We've worked on uh, patients together, and mm-hmm. we've worked on oncology, and we've, we've done life experiences together. And I know you have gifts that you discovered since you went into medical school. Since I went to nursing, nursing school. Nursing school. Since your medical training, <laughs> excuse me. Right. Um, so do you want to in any way touch on that? We only have a minute or two, so it's... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I think it um, gives me a different perspective in how I take care of my patients. Um, I can pray with them. A lot of times that makes a, a big difference. When I first started nursing, I can remember um, giving a blood transfusion. And before I hung the blood, the family was like, well, we need to pray over that. And I was like looking at them like they were nuts. <laughs> Why are we going to do that? And But they explained to me, as we pray on it, we're going to make sure that it's going to give her some good healing. And I thought, well, geez, I I put my hands on my patients every day, all day long. And so through that, 
I, I do that. I would make sure that God was going to guide my hands to be able to take care of that patient. We pray before and after every meal. Well, absolutely. It's kind of similar. Go absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's like saying grace, extend your healing grace through me to those patients. But medicine doesn't have any spiritual aspect of it in, in any medical training. No, not So no. if you go to the doctor for whatever you go to the doctor for, right. and he kneels down and starts to pray for you, what would you think? I would think I was dying. <laughs> I'd be scared. worried about what he was fixing to tell me. It yes. would scare the bejesus <laughs> out of me if you would. Right. Okay, right. so it's been, you, you as a professional, that isn't allowed to be brought into medicine. Weren't you taught that at the beginning too, with all due respect? In some instances, it's not. It You're right. It exactly. Is. So, so again, we're looking at holistic medicine. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to add that because mm-hmm. it was my experience. I wanted to see if it was valid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what else do you think we could do? Or how else could we get wellness into our community here? I, do I these think podcasts it's podcast and I invite regular people that's who exactly have more right. to say than anybody would guess. Absolutely. And and I think um you know from the older generation what the doctor said was gospel. It was no matter what he said that's what we were going to do and now um as medicine changes patients are realizing I can make that decision I can I can be the one that decides yes or no I'm going to get that treatment. Um And then if you go older than the older you speak of, mm-hmm. my grandparents had doctors who made house calls. Absolutely. As a child, doctors made house calls. Doctors used to be a part of the community and oh, they absolutely. did social work and they knew about your church and stuff. Right. That has been removed. But it's coming back Again, because we do have um, some home health agencies, um, some senior care agencies that will have a nurse practitioner go into the home um, and see that that person. Hospice definitely has the physician go out um, as well, but it, it's it's starting to come back because um, uh, they realize some people cannot get out, some people won't drive and laugh yet, and then they have to have someone drive them. So that makes it a little bit more difficult but we also learn by experiencing how they live at home Mm -hmm. in words that can't be put on a form that's exactly right or even part of a conversation well because sometimes we miss it we we're so quick to get them in and out in the in the physician's office um to make you know insurances happy in the whatever you know to be able to Provide to the provide, medicine, yeah. Yes. It's important, too. Right. But, you know, I think through these podcasts and through education, patients have the ability to find the different treatment modalities that are out there um, that they they can use to help heal and them in different been. ways. They have been Absolutely. spending money on a lot of things that are not in the hospital. So That's right. some kind of way, the population itself is educating, is educating themselves. the medical community. Right. That's exactly right. Wow. Mm-hmm. So is there anything you would like to say to close out this session? Um, I think this is wonderful what you do. Um, I'm glad to be a part of it. So thank I'm you happy. for inviting me. I'm happy you could come.
<laughs> thank you. You're welcome. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening and uh, and understanding that when I invite a friend over here, I have no idea of the depth of what they have to offer. Right. And then it's like, wow. Or as a Cajun would say, it's a kiaw thing. Kiaw. Oh. Thank you for coming and thank all of you for listening. Thank you for listening to Le Cadeau Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Begno. Matt Roberts produced the show. Thanks to AOC Community Media for the use of their facilities. For information about AOC, you can visit aocinc.org. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. The views and opinions expressed on this or any program on the AOC Podcast Network do not reflect the views and opinions of Lafayette Consolidated Government, Cox Communications, LUS Fiber, AOC Community Media, its board of directors, or its staff. To learn more about becoming a community media producer, visit us on the web at aocinc.org.